pizza, popcorn, games, movies, and fun. What does that sound like? A birthday party? A school event? Well, um, no. It's an advertisement for a youth group. And the best part of this advertisement is the rest of the description of this cutting-edge youth group called Fusion. It says, The purpose is to expose students to Jesus Christ through an interactive experience using media, games, worship, teaching, and small groups. In order to explore the issue of youth ministry more thoroughly, we're going to be talking through a recent Time Magazine article on youth ministry entitled, In Touch with Jesus. So stay tuned with us as we talk about youth ministry on Sinners and Saints right now. This is Sinners and Saints Theology with an Edge. Thanks for joining us here on Sinners and Saints. As promised, we're going to be talking about youth ministry today. And you know, uh, what got us thinking about this whole topic was a recent Time Magazine article called In Touch with Jesus, Sugar-Coated MTV-Style Youth Ministry is Over. That's the subtitle. But there's a lot of interesting points raised by this uh, particular article here on Time Magazine, widely circulated, a lot of people are talking about on the internet, and so we thought it'd be a good time for us to pause here on this article and talk about uh, what we think of youth ministry. So you're going to be getting our thoughts on that today. Joining us as usual for this discussion is uh, Reverend Moses Janbazian from Pasadena URC and Reverend Adam Kalushchin from Ontario United Reformed Church, and I'm John Sautel, pastor at All Saints Reformed Church. And uh, maybe before we begin this discussion, it would be helpful for the listeners to know what your credentials are in this area. Why don't you begin, uh, Adam, telling us uh, what your background is here. Yeah, I don't want to boast, but I do think that I'm eminently qualified to discuss the merits and the proper approach to youth ministry, given that I've held a number of positions over my uh, young adult life in the youth ministry field. Let's see, for... Ever really since the time I was about 12, I was involved in being one of the ones in the youth groups I grew up in, leading uh, Bible studies and leading the devotionals when we were at camp. It developed, it flowered really, as I grew older and as I entered into college. There was a a nearby church in the churches I grew up in that uh, hired me on for, oh, probably a good two years, all told at the end, as the youth uh, director or youth leader. That was my official title, youth director, I believe. And uh, following that, and my departure from the churches I grew up in, I was bouncing around a bit and took a position actually as a youth pastor. I I rose to the top of the youth ministry uh, spectrum, and I drew quite a uh, a nice salary, and I had a plush job while I was in seminary. They they basically paid me to go to school and paid me to to play with the kids and teach the kids. Uh, in the afternoons and evenings. So I think that if anybody could speak to youth ministry, I certainly am one of them. Well, I, you're qualified to the hilt, it sounds like here. And if I remember, the youth all, pastor of youth pastors. That's right. Um, I, if I remember also, Moses, you had some experience in the youth ministry game too, didn't you? Oh, from the 80s through the 90s. I've done eight years of summer camps in two different camping environments with various age groups. I've served as the youth leader for a church for two years and done all sorts of speaking gigs at different camps. And, of course, grew up in the youth group too from 
you know, fourth, fifth grade on up through high school, early college, got to experience how others were doing it as they were the youth leaders and I was one of the participants. So had a pretty broad exposure and pretty good idea of what youth ministry is really about. So I, I quickly, this is, hold on though. I, yeah. quickly, I quickly want to point out that, um, that I am more qualified than Moses uh, to speak to the merit and to the value of youth ministry, particularly because at some of the summer camps of which you spoke, Moses, you were a mere counselor at those camps, while I, in fact, was a dean. I was responsible for programming the activities of the camp all the week long. I was responsible even for supervising your youth ministry over the children that I entrusted to you by my wisdom. Of course, we always stuck you with the the degenerates and the troublesome children we thought you might relate. I felt at home, yeah. That's right. Of course, you'll notice I'm silent about my uh, credentials here in this area because, unfortunately, I grew up in the kind of sectarian churches who thought that uh, youth ministries were simply just uh, basically (laughs) (laughs) dating services uh, and excuses for adolescent young men to uh, find some place where they could go look for a girlfriend or a future wife. We never viewed our youth ministry that way. We were doing. We didn't have always doing the work of Christ in our churches. You know, you well the problem with the churches like yours. John, growing up, is they just weren't with it, man. Yeah. They just didn't know how to reach that next generation of people. Well, they weren't in touch with, what are the kids asking? You know, and that's so much different here because, you know, as I'm reading this article on In Touch with Jesus here from Time Magazine, it begins by, you know, talking about scavenger hunts. And it says sometimes a scavenger hunt is just a scavenger hunt. And that's all it is in many churches, where the frenzied chase to collect trinkets and complete silly tasks is a perennial activity aimed at getting teenagers in the doors. Now, here is the gig. Here's the shtick. Here's the difference now with the whole new emerging concept of youth ministry that Time is going to talk about here. It says, but at Calvary Baptist Church in Bellflower, California, a scavenger hunt is also a metaphor a metaphor for the lifelong pursuit of meaning and happiness that begins with adolescence. As uh, youth pastor Doug Jones says, by the way, who's 20 years old, he tells the 80 teens who have just returned from a race through this working-class city 30 miles east of Los Angeles, quoting from Romans 10:13, anyone who calls the name will be saved in Matthew 7, 7, ask God. Uh, and God will give it to you, search, and you will find. He urges them to ask God to come into your life and rescue you and bring your personal scavenger hunt to an end. So you see here what he's doing is he's using now entertainment in the youth ministry business to bring heavy-hitting, substantively packed messages to these uh, young people. And this is the really the new style of youth ministry out there we're going to talk about well this look hey i mean forget the scavenger hunt that's for that's for wusses let me tell you what we used to do at camp maybe moses remembers this we had uh, speaking of, a, of an activity that had a metaphor we used to go uh, what was that called night hunt night hawk snipe hunting snipe hunt no you're thinking of something else night i don't know there was this game that we had where all of the the counselors and the staff of the camp would go out into the wilderness at night and we would hide and uh, basically the campers, the bell would ring, all the lights in the camp and around the camp were turned off, and they would have to go out and find us. 
And if they found us, they would be able to bring us back and earn points for finding us. But you see, that game was also a metaphor because I was very clear to the kids after everybody had come back from having their fun and games and searching for the counselors at the end of the night. Now, of course, now we overlooked the fact that some of the younger high school boys would pair up with some of the high school girls. Go make out and or something. Yeah, yeah. Like they, somehow I don't think they were always looking for they were on a the counselors. <laughs> yeah, they were hunting for something else. But anyway... The idea is that I would make sure everybody sat down very, very uh, quietly after the game when they came back to the to the main lodge, and I would explain to them how this game was a metaphor. You know, we think it's all fun and games that the counselors are hiding, but I want you to know that some Christians around the world are persecuted for their faith, and if they are caught, they are not just earning points for one team or another, but they will actually be put to death because they are martyred for the faith. And I think... That was such a powerful way of communicating to them and teaching to these kids the importance, the reality of persecution of the the faith. I mean, what better way to do it than a game? Right. Almost as deep as this uh, 20-year-old youth pastor ripping uh, scriptures out of context here and applying it to scavenger hunts. Well, the article is saying, all right, what's wrong with all this stuff you guys are talking about is that it was just um, wrapping up messengers in a pop culture package. And so now the new trend in youth ministry is to turn away from all that stuff. Uh, because kids today want something more substantive. And, of course, uh, they have some interesting statistics in this article. They're noting here that youth ministry has actually done the very opposite of what they had wanted it to do. You know, the thought with youth ministry was is if we package up youth ministry in pop culture wrappers and we do fun stuff like games and whatever else you guys are talking about and you've done in your past with youth group meetings, the thought was that, well, if you have all this fun and excitement— then you'll attract uh, these kids, and then you'll have a chance to give them a message about Jesus, and then hopefully we'll get some decisions out of these young people and turn them into Christians. But the article notes that actually this plan has entirely uh, has backfired and, and failed miserably. There are far fewer kids attending youth groups now than there were back in the 80s and 90s. And a Barna poll done recently of kids or young people in their 20s, I call them kids, that tells you how old I'm getting, but uh, young people in their 20s who had participated in youth group growing up, the question was posed to them, are they now participating in church? 61% of those who grew up in the youth group culture are out of church now. Now, I want you to think about that statistic. 61% of the people that were active in youth group, and I want you to think about what it means that people were active in the youth group culture. I mean, these are people that adults in the broader evangelical church look at and say, wow, look at the passion and zeal that they have for the worship of Christ as they meet together. Look at the passion and zeal that they have for outreach. Look at the passion and zeal that they have for changing the world, for the big God that they serve. These are not just, you know, people who sort of maybe show up to church on Sunday or go plop themselves down in a youth group because their parents make them, force them to go. These are people who are active. These are people who are zealous. Their whole social circle revolves around the youth group. They were so enthusiastic and excited about the church and about youth group. Now, of course, the assumption is that that means, it must mean that they're really all zealous and learning and growing in Christ and it's having long-lasting effects. But this is a devastating statistic. Again, I repeat it. 61% gone? 61% who were on fire for Jesus as youth are gone. It looks like the plan backfired. (laughs) I'd actually be skeptical that the number staying would be as high as 39%. I would actually put it much lower based on my own experience. It just, 
when you attract people to something, that's what they're there for. If you bring them in for the games, if you bring them in for the scavenger hunts, if you bring them in for the night counselor hunt or whatever it is, that's what they're there for. They are not there for Christ. They are not there to learn. And as soon as you introduce the learning, you've lost them. And that's why these okay. people aren't around. Bait, bait and switch. Right, but called. is this endemic to youth ministry, though? I guess that's a, the, the, one of the questions I would throw out here immediately. You, got, you guys know this so much better than I do, but is this really a, a problem that just goes along with youth ministry? Is that it's, It has to be bait and switch, otherwise you won't ever... You won't get anywhere. You won't get anybody to come. If you actually do just the main content, which is supposed to be teaching about Christ, then you have the worship service of the church. You don't need these additional games. So, yeah, it is endemic. It is the very nature of the youth work that you have to create activities. You have to create excitement and buzz. And if you're doing that, you'll bring people in. And, of course, the thing that this statistic doesn't really cover is the fact that you've also burned out almost every youth worker in the process. And every few years, you get in a new group of youth workers, a new generation has risen up, or you've hired someone from another church, they bring in new games, new ideas, again, you get this adrenaline rush, which never lasts, and then you have more people who are actually inoculated to the gospel. Not only are they not participating, they have no future interest in being part of the church. Well, I'll give you another example of youth ministry. One of its uh, applications is was always the youth basketball leagues, which I was involved in from the time I could walk in the church, or at least as young as they offered the basketball league for kids in the church. And the thought was always that you would design the the youth basketball program to bring your friends in, and they would participate in the league, and they would participate in the tournaments that came around once every, you know, once or twice every year. And, of course, what we expected was that, because, of course, we would always make sure to force everybody before the tournament started to sit down and listen to a 10 or 15 minute relevant cool discussion by one of the athletes who had uh, gone on to college or something like that to play basketball the the thought was that they would stay in the church right you know? they would uh, be attracted to wow these people who are religious but at the same time can have a good time right you know? i'm down with them because they they can enjoy life yeah right. they're just pretty cool you know they can they take their their face seriously but they can also kind of let loose and have fun i can have fun at church too church doesn't always have to be boring you know this was the real hope and this was what we poured i can honestly tell you we, we had prayer meetings before these things we would uh, we'd stand around of course before the basketball games and hold hands and, and offer a prayer with the uh, unbelievers who we were trying to reach by having a basketball league and i mean the list goes on and on whatever cultural phenomenon people observed out there was baptized and brought into the youth ministry somehow to attract more and more kids to come to the church to uh, to at least in some way hear the message yeah well there there always is that pragmatic argument um hey you know what if we do stuff that's interesting kids will come and I, I, it's it's always wrapped or couched in a good idea hey it'd be nice to have a lot of people at church so that they could hear the gospel well the problem is is that in the process of, you know, watering everything down and putting in the context of fun, the message never quite got through or something. Or maybe kids got so cynical about the whole thing and realized you can't mix entertainment and religion. They left the church or something. But it backfired. They're all gone. Right. All the cool kids, by the way, they knew what youth group was for. That was lame. Oh. <laughs> all the cool – if they came to youth group, if they came, which they usually did, all really the cool lame. kids would come to youth group for the purpose of what? 
doing what kids Hang, do. Hanging out flirting. With them. Yeah. Getting closer getting with date. girls, getting a broader, you know, introduction to the opposite sex, developing friendships. Perhaps if you weren't a cool kid, this was my case growing up, you weren't a cool kid, you you longed for relationships with you know, friends. I mean, you wanted people who would accept you even though you'd never be accepted in other youth circles like in your own school you come to the youth group and because you put on a a form of piety you know you're able to develop friendships with people that were like you well the interesting thing here is we've noted it hasn't failed and now there's a substitute and supposedly this jones cat you know 20 year old youth pastor with his scavenger hunt as a metaphor is on track with the new uh understanding of how to do youth group but i i just i I howled in laughter when I read what the solution was. And the solution to this frivolous, light, fluffy pop culture packaging of youth culture and its ministry, the answer to all that is to restructure it according to the youth ministry model developed by Rick Warren's Saddleback Church. <laughs> because and after all, I mean, if you want to get away from right. something market-driven, yeah. you, you go to Rick Warren's Saddleback Church. There's no church. packaging here. Right. Right. No it's, pop culture packaging at all. And, and Saddleback is built on five principles of evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, ministry, and worship. And if the church just follows these principles, then uh, good things will happen. It just it boggles the mind. It's It's laughable. Because the the tone of the article is they are replacing fluff with substance. And and then you bring up Rick Warren. It's like no serious reader can think that there's anything to be gained from this. No, it's really funny to consider that, you know, especially now as the U.S. becomes more and more professional, everybody needs to be licensed. We don't even let somebody teach children until they've had years of education and licensing. But all of a sudden when it comes to the deep things of God— we want every 15-year-old to be leading a Bible study in their schools. Like, This is completely beyond reason. And the things that people would teach, like, there's times where we had gone and tried to brief young men who were joining the military or whatever else and say, all right, you know, you're about to go away. You're going to be away from the youth group, the support of the church. So what do you know about Christianity? What is it that you're going to be able to do there? And the answer was, uh, tell others. Okay, tell others what? Uh, God is love. Okay, can you elaborate a little bit on that? What is it a Christian should do? Tell others. And that was really the depth of the learning this man had undergone after years of being in a youth group. Yeah, but now see, this is what the article is pointing out, right? I mean, the article is saying, look, we tried those youth group fluff things and we acknowledge now. I mean, we're forced to acknowledge that it didn't work because all the people aren't in the churches anymore. So there's been a shift into something more substantive. But but I got a couple things to say about it. First of all, this is not a new idea. There were plenty, plenty of youth workers back in the heyday of the youth ministry days that were always skeptical of some of the game-type stuff and always wanted something more substantive. And I know that because because I, at some point, kind of felt the same way, even when I was back in the youth ministry culture. When I was at one particular church and had begun my journey into the Reformed faith, as I look back and call it now, I remember thinking at some point that a lot of the gimmicky things that I had been involved in or that I was promoting seemed to be bankrupt. So my solution, and the solution that's apparently this Time article is talking about, the solution was to 
make our youth ministry about merely substance. And so this is what I did. Sunday mornings in the church where I was youth leader, this is before I was had risen to the ranks of a full-orbed youth pastor, and this certainly held true when I was in that position at a different church. But when I was a youth leader, I decided, you know, they already take the kids out of the church service, and they give them over to me for this hour while the adults are worshiping and listening to a sermon. What I'm going to do is just have my own mini church. So I remember there was a big uh, big speaker that was there to amplify the guitar in this youth room, and I would, and it was pretty tall, so I would wheel that toward the center in the front. I would align the chairs in rows before everybody got there, and they would all come in. We would sing a couple of songs, and basically I would talk to these kids. It was like a faux youth service. I mean, it, it strikes me now looking back. Somebody, one of the parents one time, sat in on one of the sessions and said, wow, you really kind of have your own little church here. And, and they were very much uh, complimenting me, very much encouraging me. Yeah, this is good. We're getting back to the substance. And I was really convinced that I had matured out of that time where we stuck with just titillating songs and titillating games and, and, and cheap tricks and gimmicks to get people in. We had matured to the point of really offering substance to these kids. And that's what this article is talking about, that shift. Yeah, and... and- the only reason why they're talking about it, too, is so typical of how evangelicalism is. They're talking about it because it apparently works. I mean, they have a few churches in here that they highlight that, wow, well, once they threw out the pop culture packaging, pizza and peanuts and popcorn, and they brought in the hard-hitting you know, conversations about God and the problem of evil and all this stuff, that all of a sudden their youth groups doubled in size. They even have this one pastor who said uh, they were budgeted to get a uh, pool table for their youth room, and he vetoed it, making a stand on principle that the group was not going to be about entertainment but about substance. And so when he did that, over 18 months after that, uh, the group uh, more than doubled in numbers. And it strikes me as so typical of evangelicalism, always sticking the finger in the air to see which way the wind is blowing, where are the currents flowing, where what are people attracted to, and then, oh yeah, let's try that too. I, I have a sneaky suspicion that this has zero to do with substance, and it has everything to do with packaging and what people are interested in. And it just happens to be that now today kids aren't interested in, in the light, trivial, syrupy stuff, so we're going to give them a, something a little bit more. Well, even that is not entirely true because this is something that they're speaking of over the last few months. Youth groups, by their very nature, are constantly changing because people are graduating from one school, they're growing up and having to move elsewhere. So you're always going to have ups and downs in youth groups. And I've been parts of youth groups that were, you know, 100, 150 strong, which in the next two, three years will go down to 15. And then another one would be the hot youth group to go to in that town. Yeah, and then after a year or two, true. that would die away. And the next one would be the next hot one. And every time somebody managed to get some people showing up, everybody tried to imitate what that was. And then within a year or two, of course, the whole thing would change again, and these people would have grown up. The question that nobody really wanted to ask was, has anyone actually done what God has called us to do in the church that these people have actually heard the gospel? It's all been a numbers game, and it is to this day, even in this article. Yeah, it is all about numbers, and the thing of it is that that we're trimming around the edges of now, and which we really need to get down to is 
who cares whether 200 people show up to your little youth group meeting, whether that's because they had Bible study or popcorn and peanuts. The article doesn't attack, attack principle. Oh, it, it, it does under the guise of, oh, now we're switching away from the light and frivolous and games and all that stuff to some you know, more serious Bible study. But it really doesn't get down to principle. Because the real issue of principle here, it's not even considered. It's not even thought of. Is what Moses is starting to bring up is, did God say to do this? Nobody asked this question of this. And you would think that they would because this whole idea of youth group is such a new, modern, even North American phenomenon. Why doesn't anybody stop and ask, where did God say to do this? Do we? Should we do this? Is it right? Is it biblical? Right. I don't want you to sit here listening to this and say, oh, that's not... Look, the reason why we got more serious in our youth group is really because we wanted to get serious. It's not because of numbers. In fact, some of you might be saying, you know what? Our youth group shrunk because we stopped offering games and gimmicks. But at least now we know we're hey, doing the will of God. That would have been good serious. if that was in the article. They, they don't, you don't allow that stuff. But, e- but our point is, even if somebody's saying that, okay, and I would say, look, back at the time when I evolved from games and gimmicks to, quote-unquote, more substantive <laughs> youth group model, still I wasn't asking the question, did God ever say to do this? You know, I just assumed that the right structure, the right biblical model for reaching kids was to segregate them and to have them off. You know, of course, it was more substantive than it was before, but this is what God wants. So what we're trying to get ourselves to ask is, you know, is this a biblical idea? Yeah. Now, now let me let, let's smack some of our own here, because this is really we, we all claim to be we're reformed ministers here. This 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 entire show and all that we stand for is about uh, the reformed church, reformed doctrine, the confessions, which we all subscribe to, which we teach to uh, our parishioners, duty bound before God to uphold and defend and so forth, because we believe that they uh, they are, are teaching or summarizing what, what God's word simply says. And so. We're not presenting this as interest ministers or whatever. We're reformed. And what's so disheartening about this is that when you try to sit down and you talk about this whole problem of youth ministry, everybody begins with the assumption that it's a legitimate idea. What needs to change is that some things need to be tweaked a little bit. And even people in the reformed community buy into that notion. An example of this, and I'm going to give you some other ones, but, but one just to start off with that touches where Pastor Adam was talking about is an article in Modern Reformation entitled um, Reforming Youth Ministry. And, and don't get me wrong, there's sometimes there's some great articles in Modern Reformation uh, that are very sound and reformed, but, but here you go. Here, even in here, there's not even the discernment to ask the question in this about whether it's the right thing to do, whether it's biblical. And the solution to reform youth ministry is a sort of a meat and potatoes approach. Basically, what the guy prescribes is you need to tackle uh, tough issues in youth groups, such as the holiness of God, the total depravity of man, divine sovereignty, justification, and sanctification. So uh, he begins with this broad principle as, will. You know, youth group is fine as long as you do it right. Bring in meat and potatoes. And then he gives like five principles of substantive, you know, youth groups and how to organize them well and all this stuff. And again, it it never asks the question, is there a reformed understanding of this whole topic? Is there a reformed approach to it in the sense of whether this is even something that coheres with our doctrine of what the church is about? 
actually, fits with the doctrine of word and sacraments. No, mm-hmm. see, actually, I, I would say youth ministry contradicts a lot of what we believe in the Reformed Church, which is that we are people who belong to God, and we are baptized by virtue of our membership in the covenant because our parents are members of the church. And yet the whole youth ministry model separates families constantly, segregates them out by age, so that you lose the wisdom of the elders, you lose the example of the elders, and the youth are led by other kids, essentially. And so what you wind up with is this really disconnected, disjointed church where the youth never are really part of the church. They're this adjunct in some way, but they don't really belong to the church. And so as they grow up out of these programs, they really don't belong. And you can see that in the sad membership numbers, not just of the evangelicals, but even in Reformed and Presbyterian churches. Let me very clearly articulate for you one of the saddest, most destructive dynamics in confessionally Reformed churches today. It is that the churches adopt forms of piety adopt programs, adopt ministry models of other traditions which have divorced themselves from the historic Protestant faith and distinctives. They adopt those ministry models and bring them into the confessionally reformed churches. And somehow people think that if we adopt these other ministry models, we just clean it up a little bit, you know, fine-tune the theology and uh, get the programs, you know, more based on maybe the sovereignty of God and some of the other categories that you mentioned that people from time to time articulate, that we're going to be able to make the Reformed churches flourish like the other churches have flourished, that we're going to be the Reformed church on the street that is going to have as much to say about outward success and numbers and growth, Christian growth, whatever that is, however it's defined, as the other churches on that same street. And what happens is, unwittingly, the false theology of these groups, out of which these forms of piety developed, ends up through the back door coming into the confessionally reformed churches and actually thwarting the true Christian discipleship that the churches are after. Yeah, and a good example of this is the seminary we all went to, Westminster Seminary, which... You know, in some ways, we got a great education from and claims to be Reformed and Presbyterian and so forth. Uh, just uh, just over a year ago, they have a youth ministry conference. And the title on the—one well, of the captions on the brochure is saying as, The church must grow in her task of ministering to covenant members, those of our youth, young adults, and their families. And to do that, she must submit to her head, Jesus Christ, and the authority of his word. That's great! Now, why not ask the question whether it's submitting to Jesus Christ and the authority of his word to have age-segregated ministries in the church and primarily a so-called youth ministry when you claim that the Bible teaches a covenantal understanding of the community of God's people, which incorporates the young people along with their parents into the actual body of Christ. Well, I'll tell you why that question isn't asked, John. It's not, Pastor. It's not asked because... If you look into the history of the confessionally reformed churches, the historic Protestants, you do not find the youth group model. When the historic Protestant churches have studied the scripture and been serious about the discipleship of their covenant youth, they didn't come up with youth groups, John. That's why nobody asked the question, because to 
ask that question yeah. would be to destroy the whole youth well, group Well, they seem to anyway. be aware of this because they have a whole list of questions they're asking here on their little brochure about you know how youth ministry fits in. They say one of the questions is, well, we want a strong word and sacrament church but youth ministry. Like, okay, we're going to give you uh, – they're, they're recognizing the tension between these two things as if you know they, they get the fact, well, wait, isn't church supposed to be about a word and sacrament? But then we got these young people, and then we got this whole cultural context around here. And you got all these parents demanding that the church have something for their kids, so and the their kids, kids will be interested in coming to church. Yeah, the so, kids need more, John. Right, the so, kids need more. So the thought is here: well, we're going to show you, we're going to hoodwink you here. We're going to show you how, yeah, 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 word and sacraments are great, but you need this stuff too. We're going to show you how these two completely antithetical streams fit together. It just strikes me as a classic example of hoop jumping that, you know, is really unnecessary if you're mo- if you're really motivated by principle. Because the principle is this, is that um, God has established a church. God has established a means of grace, the means of grace. And, and these are the ways that God works to sanctify and to build up all of his people, not just the adults, but the children as well as the elderly. And everybody in between, and yet we don't believe that. What the youth group model ends up doing is allowing or enabling parents to abdicate their own responsibility in the catechism of their own children, the supervision of their children's doctrine and life. It enables the parents to see their children come together and pool their ignorance, many times under the leadership of somebody who has not been trained nor been called by Christ to stand before any of God's people to teach. This is fascinating to me. Moses, you mentioned earlier that we put you know different people in front of people. We make sure in confessionally reformed churches, okay, at least, and even to some degree in churches that are not confessionally reformed, that people who will stand before God's people in the church and speak to them and teach them from the Word are trained to do that, right? But what are the typical qualifications for a youth, quote-unquote, youth pastor? You attended regularly at least the last two or three months, and you haven't been in any major scandal that anyone knows about. And if you have, at least you've repented at some point. And um, maybe you went to Bible college. It also helps if you own a car because that way you can transport other kids. A big van would be helpful. A van is always useful, but not everybody has that. So at least if you have a four-seater, that would be useful. Um, your family has a good reputation in the church. you got to be cool. That, yeah, I was going to say, being you almost cool is absolutely cool necessary. Yeah, and but, having zeal is another one of those. you got to be willing. you got to be willing to play kids' games even when you're 25 years old. Can I just give you an anecdote? When I... As I said, when I finally reached the top of the food chain and was a youth pastor, uh, part of the interview process, this was great, I, I was invited to attend the youth group that had been meeting at this church. And um, they were playing some form of dodgeball, indoor dodgeball, something or other. And I sat down. Of course, I dressed in my coolest clothes. I had, you know, long corduroy shorts Which on. Which weren't very cool. Not very cool. Actually, at that time in my life, I, I was dressing pretty cool. John, you wouldn't know much about that. But yeah. I had long corduroy shorts on. I had kind of a cool uh, logo-type T-shirt, and I sat down, you know, Indian-style on one of the teams that was playing in the dodgeball thing. And I'll never forget this one girl who was in high school, probably a freshman or sophomore. And at this time, let's see, I was probably my first year in, first or second year in seminary. She turned to me and said, 
aren't you a little old to be at youth group? Oh, nice. Aren't you a little old to be at youth group? And I said, well, actually, I'm. this is part of my uh, blah, blah, interview process for I was thinking of becoming the youth pastor that they're advertising for. And she said, oh, and looked at me like, what a loser. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> what, what, what is your, what kind of, what kind of a dysfunctional anti-socialite loser would ever plop himself down at 20 some years of age in the midst of a bunch of kids playing dodgeball? Well, the answer is a youth pastor, because I'm going to come in and do the service that God is requiring me to do in order to reach this lost generation. Well, what a foolish idea. You have to run around acting like a like an immature little kid in order to relate to kids. I mean, what if every parent did that? Say, okay, well, my kids obviously can't understand anything unless I act like I'm about four years old and dress up like Barney. And then, what a dumb idea. You know, you Part of how kids learn is because they see you are not like them and they somehow intuitively put together that you have some experience, you have some wisdom, you have something to offer them that they can't get from uh, the neighbor kid next door. You have authority. There's something respectable about you and they learn from it. But why why does that just get automatically discarded and thrown out the window when it comes to youth ministry? Because I think that we have bought into the North American youth culture, and therefore we assume that age is actually a bad thing. Anything we can do to hide it is good to do. And what we don't want to admit is that we have lost the youthful innocence by life experience. And so the youth model is the ideal, and churches look to their youth as though that is the inspiration for how we should be, rather than saying, no, we are actually created by God and age and experience has actually given us knowledge and wisdom and we have fought a lot of these temptations and these battles we have grown and matured and we can now encourage and guide you instead it becomes the youth must lead the church as if the prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled completely missing the point of that prophecy which is Christ to come yeah well ironically though to me too the the flip side of that is that youth ministry in and of itself, teaches or treats kids like they're idiots. Like somehow a child is not going to be able to sit under the preaching of the word and learn and respond to the preaching of that word. Like somehow, you know, we have to teach our young ones that they should listen and learn to only water down things. You you mean like this hip new youth group at a local church called... Fuel, which is a time to gather for the large group experience with all your high school friends to connect, laugh, join in rock and worship, be encouraged by God's truth, meet new people, and eat some great snacks. Is that the kind of dumbing down you're talking about? <laughs> yeah. No, I couldn't. That's it. Is this an advertisement for a kindergarten or for a youth yeah, group? I mean, come on. No. Story time. Come on. What, what is this nonsense? Yeah, I've uh, I've been impressed, really, the more I've gotten out of this, this ridiculous mentality that uh, kids, covenant children, are dumb and need something different than adults. I mean, I've been impressed with some of the, the insights of uh, some of the, the children who have been raised in the covenant community. They're not dumb. They've been listening all along. They're perfectly capable of interacting and contributing to the life and ministry of the church by the own ways in which they express their piety at their age level, in their schools, in the culture, whatever they're doing. Okay, well, let, let me get us started towards talking about a solution to this whole problem. You say, all right, fine, you guys are bashing youth groups a lot, and you're not buying any of our arguments. So what do we do in its place, hmm? 
You just want to be critical. You don't what have is your youth yeah, group what, look like? What, what do you have? And, and let me just tell you, this is how Reformed and Presbyterians have historically viewed how to deal with the problem of youth. And that is in the home, with the family, the father and the mother, catechizing the children at home, and then also bringing them to the church where they can be more thoroughly catechized by the minister uh, when they're an age to receive a more full and complete instruction in the things of God. But that was basically it. Listen to this. Uh, Directory of Family Worship, <clears throat> which was adopted by the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland, uh, 1647, listing uh, duties and spiritual responsibilities of a head of house, uh, says that they are to have a special responsibility of teaching and catechizing in the home. Now listen to this. If they failed to fulfill that obligation, the head of the family is to be first admonished privately to amend his fault. And in case of his continuing therein, he is to be gravely and sadly reproved by the session, that is, the elders of his church. After this reproof, if he is found still to neglect family worship, he shall be for his obstinacy in such offenses suspended and debarred from the Lord's Supper. The person responsible for this child is not some hip 20-year-old youth pastor who hasn't got a thing figured out in his own life. It's that child's dad. And they were so serious about it that you were subject to church discipline if you did not care for your child's spiritual well-being. Where did that go? Reformed churches, you see the parking lots uh, full of, you know, it's, it's like um, one car pulls in after another, drops the kid off, and they speed out of the parking lot, and they go somewhere else, and they drop these kids off and let them go be taught by some 21, 22-year-old kid who doesn't know anything about the Bible, about life, about Reformed theology. And this is supposedly our great answer when, when we have this whole rich heritage and tradition, which is thoroughly rooted in Scripture, that the parents teach their kids at home. Yeah, it, well, one word, answer, Pastor, it's abdication. I mean, where has it gone? The parents have abdicated their responsibility to youth groups. That's what accounts for the immense pressure that parents put on churches and the leaders of the churches and the elders. Again, we're smacking mostly our own in confessionally reformed oh, churches. Yeah. Reformed, so yeah, oh, what this. are you doing for the kids? As if, you know, spending meaningful time with the kids outside of the guise of a formal youth group or offering the word and the sacraments to the kids is not happening for them. You know, like the kids aren't benefiting from any of that stuff. No, all they're benefiting from is if you have a program a systemized program to, to quote-unquote, reach them or to, quote-unquote, disciple them or, quote-unquote, teach them how to evangelize. Parents have abdicated their responsibility, perhaps in some communities, to uh, the Christian school, where the parents alleviate themselves of all their duties by sending the kids to learn elsewhere about the sacred things. Now, certainly we would agree that expertise in some areas is good. It's good for kids to go to school and learn things about the world. Uh, but the church and the parents have been given the responsibility to teach the sacred things to the children. The parents do it in the home. The church does it through the means of grace and perhaps the normal discipleship of the officers of the church that they give to everybody else in the congregation. But this youth group thing is not the answer. It's not a biblical model. Just you can ask this to yourself if you're doubting this. You go to the Scripture and see if the apostles and see if the early church was establishing segregated groups for the feeding of God's people. They don't do it. It's not there. 
we're just going to have to face the fact that this is not a biblical model. Sadly, God's plan for nurture and spiritual development and growth of his people, the word and the sacrament, has been replaced for a portion of God's people, the young people, with the program of word and entertainment, and in that case, mostly entertainment. What we want you to consider as you listen to this broadcast, if you have children or you're in a position to influence the policies of your church on this matter, is that the whole concept of youth ministry is completely unbiblical and thoroughly at odds with a Reformed confessional understanding of Christianity, of the church, and how people actually grow in Christ and in sanctification. And so in view of these things, we would urge you to bring real reformation to your church by taking up God's plan for developing, nurturing, and maturing our youth, and that is through careful catechizing in the home and then bringing them to the church where they will sit under the the preaching of God's word, and when they are old enough and ready to make a public profession, to receive the sacraments, and to be under the spiritual care and oversight of the elders. That's God's plan for youth ministry, and we hope that you will soon come to see what we've been talking about here on Sinners and Saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's word on Sinners and Saints, theology with an edge.